Well, good morning and welcome to the Celeste Stein Show. I'm your host, Dr. Celeste Stein. And today's show is a tribute to Breast Cancer Awareness Month, which is celebrated in October each year to raise awareness of the disease. Today, we have a mother and daughter who will join us to share their very personal story about how breast cancer has affected their lives. First, I would like to introduce you to Robin Tanya Watson. Robin has worked in administration and higher education and has adopted a spirit of servant leadership in everything she does. She's also a survivor of breast cancer, a mom, and I also know her as a friend. Thanks so much for joining me today, Robin. And we also have her daughter, Kirsten, who is a former Division I volleyball player. Kirsten currently works as a sideline reporter for the Los Angeles Lakers, Los Angeles Sparks, and the South Bay Lakers, the official minor league team for the Los Angeles Lakers. She is also host of Lake Show, a studio show on the social trends and news of the Lakers. I might also add that Kirsten was named first runner-up in the Miss Florida USA 2020 pageant, and she's also a member of the nonprofit organization Breasties, which is dedicated to supporting young women affected by breast cancer and reproductive cancers. Welcome, welcome, welcome both of you to the show today. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you, Celeste. Well, you know, it's estimated um, in in my research on breast cancer, uh, I realized that it's estimated that roughly 276,000 women are diagnosed with breast cancer each year, according to NIH. And that number has dramatically increased during the past four decades. And with all of the new science and technology available, Robin, I would like to ask, does that surprise you? You know, I I think it does. Um, I think, you know, we have to look at breast cancer from the perspective that there are environmental factors, genetic factors. I mean, there's now new linkages to the foods and the hormones, uh, you know, the, the, um, foods that are injected with additional hormones and, um, you know, and then of course we have hot cancer hotspots throughout our country where, um, you know, the uh, EPA has attempted to sort of clean up these hotspots, but, you know, I think uh, we are, it seems odd that we haven't moved in, um, you know, making it a preventable disease. Um, although we know a lot more about it today than when I was diagnosed. So they, they are making progress and, you know, advising women, young women on diet and exercise and, you know, all of the potential factors. Right. Well, I know um, I also read that most of the women who are diagnosed are typically 50 years of age and older. Was that the case for you? No, um, I was uh, diagnosed at 44 and um, uh, very much still having a cycle. So, um, you know, not menopausal. So, yes, there is, you know, there's two, I think the research shows there's two rising trends. There's a trend in younger women. And then there's a trend in over 50 postmenopausal women. Um, 
and depending on I found it interesting that some of those cases are men as well with male chest cancer you know 2700 of those cases are are in men yeah so and interesting about men getting uh, breast cancer or chest cancer it has to do with genetics I mean, we're, we're finding out that there's a lot of genetic predisposition to, um, you know, members where the mother or father, maternal or paternal uh, g- uh, gene for, um, for cancer. So, yeah, and there is an increase in men having it as well. So right. it, it's complicated. Uh, and particularly, there's a rise in BIPOC. Black, Indigenous, people of color, um, we are disproportionately affected and we still have very high mortality rates. Mm -hmm. Now, did you have any warning signs or other risk factors? Um, Was it a complete uh, surprise or? Their sister had breast cancer um, and subsequently died from pancreatic cancer. Um, You know, it, it wasn't really in my frame that I was at any particular risk factor. I've come to know something different, you know, in later years. But um, I would just say that I was also getting regular mammograms. Mm. And so um, I had had a little bit of um, microcalcifications when I had my first mammogram at 40, when it was recommended that you have your first one at 40. Mm-hmm. And, um, and they decided to follow me every six months. And right at the time that they decided no longer to follow me at six months, they were going to follow me at a year is when I was actually diagnosed with cancer. And um, so the only thing that I would say to you was a noticeable change was that I had um, my nipples were itchy. Mm. I, 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 well, I do not want to uh, suggest that women who have itchy nipples need to be concerned that they have breast cancer because it could have just been a happenstance. I ended up, um, I did have um, a pretty significant DCIS in the nipple, which could have in fact caused that, um, that itchiness. Could you explain that a little bit further for people who might not know what you're referring to? So DCIS is a ductal carcinoma in situ, and that's typically a very early stage breast cancer. It's confined to your ducts. And, you know, uh, we've always believed that that is, most, I think, physicians would convey that that's the, you know, the early, earliest stage and highly treatable. So have you been doing the regular breast self exams on yourself? Um, Were you doing those or were you just kind of going to the doctor and. Interestingly enough, I did not feel a mass. Mm -hmm. I I did not feel a mass. Um, The only symptom I might've had was this itchiness and the breast physician did not attribute that to, um, to breast cancer symptomology per se. But no, I did not feel a mass. I do think it's very important that women do breast self-exams mm-hmm. and understand their, the relationship of their cycle to their, um, to their breast exams, as well as understand, you know, you may be, you know, especially for 
women of color, we tend to have fibrocystic changes in our breasts. And so we're dense, our breasts are dense. And it's really important that we get uh, mammograms at the recommended time that the physician recommends. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's critically important. Yeah, you said a minute ago that you were kind of in denial. What what do you mean? Like, how long were you in denial? Like, you know, how long did that go on? And and what? Well, yeah, I mean, I think if you have any dramatic changes to your breast or you're having sensations or, mm-hmm. you know, if you're having different things going on, you probably need to at least bring that to the attention of a physician and mm-hmm. have it evaluated. Um, I think it's responsible. And so when I developed the initial um, you know, nipple discomfort, I did not address it initially. Um, mm-hmm. But again, I was due for my mammogram. So I, you know, I pursued my regular scheduled mammogram. And at that time, I was then diagnosed with breast cancer. Well, I think it's interesting that right now, you know, due to COVID, a lot of people are staying home and maybe they aren't going to the doctor as regularly as they should. So I'm sure those self-exams are becoming more important than ever before. Um, Yeah. So, you know, it's funny. I'm actually in a hospital with my father and, um, and his oncologist, he has cancer and his oncologist, um, brought, we were having a discussion about this the other day, that there is a tremendous concern that people are going to end up, you know, as we get further, a little bit further away from COVID, that so many people have stayed away from the doctor uh, and getting, you know, exams and imaging that they're going to have later stage of cancer. Hmm. So I would encourage people if you were in the process of getting your routine mammogram or you're having, you know, appointments with your doctor, it's really important to go ahead and get back to that as soon as possible, because there is a, a concern, I think, on the professional side that, you know, people are putting off going to the doctor and, you know, breast cancer grow can grow pretty rapidly. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, some are slow growing, some are, you know, faster growing, and some are very fast growing. So it's really important if you have a concern, if a doctor's had a concern, that you go and consider getting the imaging done. Mm-hmm. I know it's a scary time it, I'm it in the really hospital, is. and I'm very scared. I mean, yeah. and I normally have to wear, have a mask. I just took it off for, for this, but, you know, it's really important. I think. And then, you know, I, I would just add, you know, listen, as a, as a black woman, um, I, I watched many women uh, of color, you know, uh, Latin, Latino and black and brown uh, really die from a less, lesser diagnosis because they did not get the proper, um, they didn't get proper care. So it's really important, I think, in the that you know, women have to advocate for themselves, and they have to do what is. Um, they've got to advocate. They need to read, educate yourself as much about your diagnosis as you can, so that you can get the best care. 
And also I did a drug trial at Mayo Clinic. And I think a drug trial is really important. If there's an opportunity to be studied, if there's an opportunity to um, participate in a way in which you can um, ensure that you have a longer life, take advantage of it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go on mute for a second. If you can talk to Kirsten, mm-hmm. sure. the doctor's here with my father. Okay, no problem at all. And um, very interesting point, uh, Kirsten, that your mom just made. Um, you know, in reading, I noticed that on breastcancer.org that it said that white women are more likely to develop breast cancer. However, Black, Hispanic, and Asian women are more likely, especially Black women, to get it in a more aggressive form. So one of the things I wanted to ask you is uh, how, how nervous does it make you to know that you have a history of breast cancer and how do you, uh, as a young woman, kind of, you know, deal with that? Yeah, well, I mean, first I would say to that research, um, it's found that the BRCA gene, which is directly linked with breast cancer and technically reproductive cancers, um, which doesn't necessarily guarantee, but puts you at a much higher risk if you have the gene to having one of these cancers, that's typically seen in white women, mm-hmm. more specifically white Jewish women. Um, mm-hmm. To me, that's due to the doctors who were doing the research at the time and who they were doing the research on. Um, so there's kind of this like, space in which Black women, Latinx, Asian, people of color are kind of just kind of left down. There's not as much research around us, but the numbers are, if not just as rampant um, with it. Being young, um, I'm now 27. I had my first experience with breast cancer, well, other than being a child and watching my mother have it, but I had my first kind of, I guess, scare um, when I was 20. Too. So, um, so that fear has always been with me, I would say. I mean, yeah, ever since my mother was sick, I would say I had a fear of like one day I could get breast cancer and one day I could die because not only did I see my mother survive, I saw some of her best friends die of breast cancer. Um, so it is a very um, kind of tricky line to tread of like, you can't live in that fear, but also it's something that does kind of sneak in on the back of my head. So for example, when I go to the doctor, I'm deemed as high risk. I have a mother who has breast cancer. I have a great aunt who has breast cancer. My father's mother, my grandmother has breast cancer. So it's like, whereas my mom didn't necessarily have to think of those factors when she was younger, or just that wasn't the conversation with her doctors. When I go to the gyno or when I go to my breast doctor, it's very much like, no, like you're actually a high risk risk high percentile um i have i don't do mammograms just yet just because i'm still a bit young for them but um i have ultrasounds i wasn't every six months now due to the pandemic i'm probably about once a year um uh-huh. but even that i have to go in when you said when you said excuse me i didn't mean it when, when you said earlier that um, you had your first scare at 22, was it something uh, that triggered you going to the doctor or what, yeah. what actually, you know? So I found a mass um, in my left breast. I was just giving myself a self-exam. Um, and it was like the size of a pea. 
and I felt something and I kind of was just like, oh, that's weird. I've never felt that before. Um, and it was like solid. Like I could truly feel like it felt like a little pee. Um, so I called my mom, of course, because that's what I always do. If anything comes up, I could cut my finger and be like, look, mom, I don't know what to do. <laughs> um, but I called my mom and she was like, obviously being very calm, trying not to freak out, but she kind of was like, you need to call your gyno. Like immediately. <laughs> um, and so I did. And so I went to the gyno. He double checked it. He was kind of like, I don't, I feel something as well. I don't like necessarily what I feel. He sent me to have an ultrasound. Um, I then did the ultrasound that then led me to um, going to multiple breast doctors because that's the other thing. So now I'm 22 going on 23. I found a mass in my chest. Of course, as we said, breast density, fibroid adenomas, all of that is very real. Um, so some doctors kind of brushed it off as like, oh, well, you just have dense breast and that's, it must just be that. Others were kind of like, oh, this is very interesting due to your family history. We just need to biopsy it and see what it is. Um, and so obviously then my gyno was pushing for that. Like, let's biopsy it, see what is happening. Um, I went to two different doctors, had two biopsies, um, which I'll be honest, at 22 was quite possibly the most painful thing I had ever experienced. Um, they oh. just... All, there's one doctor who she just shoved that needle inside of me and was like, all right, let's do this. And I was screaming on the, oh on the table, of course, giving my mom just all, both my parents flew in. I was living in LA um, oh. for it. We went into genetic testing. We had all a bunch of different conversations to kind of um, see where that lies. Basically fast forward. Um, I ended up going to a different doctor because I just, needed I, I need more um TLC <laughs> with the doctor I need um so the woman who did my other biopsy her team um I ended up having breast surgery I had a lumpectomy um mm. at 23 and because the mass while it was benign which is a blessing so it was not cancerous it was growing mm. and just again with my family history with my I mean, it was either I could live with this benign mass that's growing in my body and if that doesn't keep me up at night, then it's fine. Um, mm -hmm. That wasn't the case. That did keep me up at night. The fears that they could become cancerous one day. What does this mean? My whole life could change at 23 years old. Um, I had just graduated from college and moved to LA to start a new job. And um, it was really one of those things like, wow, like everything could flip tomorrow and I could be in Florida with my family going to the Mayo Clinic like time mothers breast cancer doctors and oncologists and things like that so um mm. it definitely was a lot so I had the surgery I then came home to rest for about it's a well it wasn't obviously I didn't have the uh, double mastectomy or anything like that but it still is a major surgery having a lumpectomy and you still have to recover and heal and it's also a it's a mind game because it's I mean your breasts as a female are something that are very, um, I think you don't realize kind of the impact of having your breast surgery and like what that does just, I mean, obviously with having a mother who had breast cancer and all of it, it makes you kind of more aware of your body and more aware of things that could happen and could change to you in the near future. And so, yeah, so it, it definitely um, kind of shocked everything, I think for our entire family, since I obviously was, um, 22, 23 years old when that happened, but it made me very aware of like, 
you know, this is something that I have to take seriously. And when I do feel something, I immediately go to my gynecologist for his breast exam. And then, or now since I have a breast doctor, I immediately go to them if I feel something. And I've had other scares that turned out that they were just some masses that had built up. Um, so yeah, but I mean, what my mom said earlier, it is very important to do self exams, no matter what age at this rate, because I mean, I have really good friends who have had double mastectomies and they're 25, 20, I'm what now, like 27 years old. So, um, and some, I know that's a, a personal choice that I guess some women do make, yeah. um, that's something you, you thought about or. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, I haven't done genetic testing just because, um, many people don't talk about the impact it has on life insurance. Um, it does. If you have a life altering gene, cancer gene of some sort, it does impact your life insurance pretty heavily. Um, so it does kind of make that dis- decision a little bit more challenging. Um, at this rate, my mother does not have BRCA. My grandmother does not have BRCA. Um, so we don't seem to have that gene. So I don't necessarily feel the need to do like the testing for that. However, my grandfather does have a gene and I forgot, unfortunately what it is, but um, it's a pretty, it's a very strong cancer gene in which it leads to different types of cancers, but it is a cancer gene that has clearly come through our family line. Um, Does that include me? It's something that I do not know. It may, it may not. Um, but I likely will do preventative surgery. Um, I just am waiting. I would like to at least have one child before. Um, that being said, even that is a risk considering my mother did have cancer young. Um, but it is something that I do talk about with my doctors often. Um, at this rate, I'm thinking like early 30s. It mm. may be sooner than that. It is one of those things. To, if I, I think if I have another scare, um, or I guess not even, I won't even say another scare. If I find another mask, then it would lead me more likely to having um, a double mastectomy. But until, until then, the plan for m- me personally is I would like to at least have one child. Or if I, if I could have two children before, then I would have the surgery. Mm-hmm. One thing that I'm hearing a lot about, you know, we are obviously... Uh, Uh, just like two weeks away from our major election and they're talking about, you know, getting rid of the Affordable Care Act. And that may mean that pre-existing conditions, um, you know, may be excluded from a lot of policies. Um, Does that, uh, does does that, do you think about that at all? And and do you have any comments uh, about that? Uh, Yeah, I actually have a friend who, um, and she's in the breasties with me. So I just, I should probably add on that. The breasties brought me a community of young women who had dealt with similar experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up being in grad school with one of the co-founders of it. And her mother died of breast cancer when she was very young. She didn't have the BRCA gene. She just have another one. Um, and she just had her double mastectomy very recently. Mm-hmm. And um, I think when you have the challenges of all of this and taking preventative action is there are times when insurance doesn't cover it. Um, If you have a gene, it usually does, but I think I shouldn't, I'm actually not positive on that, but from my understanding, if you do have something that 
is leaning towards um, a specific cancer, whatever the case may be, insurance does help. Um, but I know someone who, she's from a town um, in which her mother had breast cancer. Pretty much every family on her block had cancer. Um, and she doesn't have the gene, but she had to come out of pocket for her double mastectomy. Um, wow. It was like, she's very high risk. Um, so yeah, so it, it's, it's definitely something I think that is heavily considered. I don't necessarily know the, the direct impact. Um, I know the impact of it with insurance and without insurance, but um, I don't know how um, with cancers, surgeries, things like that, where it directly correlates. Right. Well, I mean, it's so much to deal with, you know, as it is, and then to have to worry about things like insurance is just crazy. Like I, had, I had no idea that genetic testing had such an impact on life insurance. And so as a family, we decided that it wasn't the right. time. Yeah. Uh, it may, we may change our mind when I turn 30 or, um, but it was kind of just like the amount of impact it would have had on my life insurance. My family was just kind of like, yeah. let's not do that just yet. Um, and there are crazy stuff. that it, it can do that, that it can affect, you know, it's. Yeah. When you would assume that it would be the opposite. If I know that my body is going to have a life threatening cancer and I can prevent it, you would assume that this would better my life insurance because at least I'm taking proactive steps to not have to kind of get there. Um, yeah, it's not the case in America and I wish it was, but unfortunately, um, that's not how our healthcare system is set up and yeah. hopefully better or worse. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully there will be, you know, positive change. Uh, we, we have mm-hmm. to just lobby and, and speak forward. Um, yeah. I mean, cause that's the thing. It's like, you would assume that genetic testing would be promoted. Right. I want people to find out of what, not right. the, not for the fears of like, one day you're going to get this, but so that we can understand and have more control over our bodies and we can prevent things. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. If I know I'm going to have breast cancer and I can choose to have double mastectomy to at least limit as high of my chances of getting it, then I personally think that's worth it. Because after seeing my mother fight, like, I'm not saying that I wouldn't be able to. I do believe that if, you know, if God willing, I'm meant to, or I'm going to have breast cancer and all of that. And, you know, at least I've seen a mother who has battled, well, I won't even say battles. Like, we, we don't really like the terms of like fighting and battling with cancer. Like it's not a win or a lose to cancer, all of that. Like, um, right. but she I, is a survivor, you know, and, and that is a blessing that she did survive. Cause I do have many friends today whose mothers did not survive and, you know, having to navigate this world and then navigate breast cancer and these conversations, something that did take away someone from you that meant so much to then, you know, have to face it and face to face and understand like, well, this now could happen to me. I think that's a very, um, it's very challenging, but I do know that no matter what, like I would be able to face it and would, um, yeah, that's meant to be, then that will be. But I also understand that if I can make choices to not have to, um, mm-hmm. not to make my life easier or whatever, just because I have the opportunity to have that choice, then I, I do believe that that's worth it. Um, right. 
I wanted to ask you a little bit about the organization um, that you're a part of, the Breasties organization. Tell me how that organization kind of steps in and helps young women um, who have reproductive or breast. Um, Well, where I would say, so um, a young woman named Bree, she went to Columbia Journalism School with me. And um, it was kind of funny when we met, it was just like, instant connection like a, like a long lost friend and you're just like well we could sit over coffee for like hours and that's honestly what we did so she um I believe we had the same master's project um group I think I think that's how we connected um mm-hmm. I ended up writing my master's about black quarterbacks and their experience and she wrote about cancers and young women specifically breast reproductive cancers and um since she had a mother who passed away very young and at the time it was kind of the trend i would say it was probably about four years after angelina jolie had had, had her double mastectomy there was a young girl named Paige who was kind of now picking up um in the news and Paige is actually also a co-founder um Paige had just had a double mastectomy and she had the BRCA gene. And I'd say she was probably maybe 25, 26 at the time. Mm-hmm. So Brie was doing her master's project on Paige, on her personal life, on this new kind of trend of, I don't even want to say trend, well, not trend, this new conversation of preventative surgeries for young women um, surrounding the BRCA gene. And um, so, yeah, so this story just kind of started picking up like Good Morning America picked it up and all of this. And um, so one day she just like mentioned it in class, like, oh yeah, like I have to go and do an interview with this young girl who just had double sex to me, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, I, I want to hear more about your project. Like, let's grab coffee. You know, this is just very interesting to me because at the time I was what, six months off of having my lumpectomy. Um, and it was something that I found that many of my friends didn't quite understand what I was doing or what was happening. Um, it was kind of just like, you don't have breast cancer, so you're fine. And it's like, well, yes, I don't have breast cancer, which is a blessing. And I am fine, but I also have this mass that's growing inside of me. I have the fears that it could become cancerous. I have my mother who was, is a cancer survivor. Like there's still a lot that's kind of like happening in your brain. Is it, you know, will I be okay in five years? Will I be okay tomorrow? Like, I don't know. And now I've had this surgery that like, had really altered like interactions. I couldn't really hug people. I couldn't like, people would be like, oh, like, let's go out. And I'd be like, I can't because if someone hits me, then like, I'm going to be in a lot of pain and I just don't feel like dealing with that, you know? So it was just kind of like, you become um, a bit more reserved and just kind of like, not, I think it was harder for me to go back into just kind of like a normal cycle of hanging out and friends and all of that that I think many people assume. Like they were just kind of like, oh yeah, you had surgery, but like, you're fine. You know, like, it's not, I'm like actually, I, not that fine. Um, but so yes, yeah, so it was just a big kind of like mind cycle. And um, so when I went back to school, she brought this up and I was like, well, like I just had a lumpectomy, like, this is so crazy. Like, would love to learn more about your project, whatever. And she was like, wow, like, please. And like, also, I just want to talk to you about it. So we end up getting coffee and it turns into like a three hour coffee date. And we talk about our mothers. We talk about, you know, our lives and breast cancer and the fears of one day having it. And it was, it was a conversation that I had had. I had never had, I think with someone that I could just be like, 
wow, like our lives are different, but there's something so specific that brings us together that like, then you can talk to them about anything, if that makes sense. Um, to be fair, again, she lost her mother. I did not lose my mother, but we both live with this like weird kind of what if. Yeah. What if this happens to me? What if, you know, and that fear, I think, has a lot more control over people than like you really expect. Um, I actually think there's a show called The Bold Type um, on Freeform, which is like Disney, young adult channel. And in the show, there's a girl who, uh, her mother died of breast cancer very young and she, she's diagnosed with the BRCA gene. At first she's doing a story about it and it's like against doing research on younger women and stuff like that. She's like, no, you're not supposed to get breast cancer until you're older. She finds out that she has the BRCA gene and then she's awarded this 30 under 30. Um, and she is so distraught about receiving this award because she never imagined a life after 30 because her mother died, but I think at like in her late 20s of breast cancer. Um, and so she was never able to see like, what does life after 30 look like? Because my mother died of life before 30. Um, so it's just like watching the scene of her play out was very like one of those moments where you're like, wow, like, well, I didn't have, I don't necessarily have the fear of dying um, because luckily I have a mother who did, who is alive, but it is a fear of like, well, like I could have to go through that. And I think that's a lot. And seeing it play out in this character, like which she honestly played it very, very well. Um, that's only a feeling that I think that young women whose parents have had cancer, had breast cancer, have um, really feel. I think that's men and women. I think it's just kind of like this underlying, like, again, it's the what if, what if this happened? My life could change. Um, and so sitting down with Bree, that this is where we, we both were kind of just like, wow, like we're really not alone in these feelings. And, you know, my lumpectomy to her was like, what was that like? Like, are you, were you afraid? Were you, you know, um, yeah, it was just, it, she could relate to it in a way that like, unfortunately, and I'm not, this is not a, a on fault to any of my friends. I think it's just different life experiences. Um, yeah so that immediately connected us and then we realized like wow like there is a need for this and there is um, and then of course with her project with Paige who had then had the double vasectomy and it was dealing with other things like intimacy post-surgery or you know just feeling comfortable in your body I mean you're in your young 20s we're supposed to be young done and free caring and Wow, like, so much surgery. stuff that you're bringing up that one yeah. would never even think about that yeah. is just you know, incredible to kind of hear that. And, and this organization, um, mm -hmm. Resties, that's awesome that, you know, you were able to become a part of that. And yeah. like, it's said, truly a community, you know, some of your best, best friends might not really realize, you know, all the little intricacies of what you might be going through. And so, Absolutely. and I think the other thing that's really important to that is, yeah, it's the, I, oftentimes a lot of these support groups are you know just because there there is the idea and the trend that you know cancer is in older women so 
a lot of the support groups that then your doctor would send you to or whatever would typically be of older women. And you're kind of just like this young woman who's kind of had a different experience because I don't have cancer. I, you know, it's, um, but this was a community like I'm on the board and of my board, it's, you know, I have not had breast cancer. I have had a lumpectomy. I am a daughter of a breast cancer survivor. And on the board, it's women who have taken preventative actions of having um, double mastectomies or other preventative surgeries. Um, it's young women who have been diagnosed with breast cancer in different stages at very young ages. It's women who have had other reproductive cancers at young ages. And so um, it creates community for all of us. Uh, so I have, like I said, someone else is on the board who, you know, was diagnosed with breast cancer at 28, I believe. And it creates a community for her, for other young women who are in that space, or, you know, for me who have done some preventative actions and who plan on doing other ones, but just maybe not necessarily are in the space right now to kind of take that step. Um, it creates- have, that plugged in, have you done some work with that, with um, uh, the Miss USA pageant system? Uh, was yeah. that part of your platform? Yeah, so that, exactly. This was my platform. This is when the base that I ran on was, um, just because again, like we said, and honestly, I think this year would have been even more important and it still is more important because we are pushing the conversation of, you know, we do need to have self exams because people aren't going to the doctor. Right. I mean, even for myself, I'm due for my checkup. Like I am an example of someone who needs to go to the doctor and I just, I haven't, it's just something you're in the house all day. You just kind of forget about it. Um, and time, I mean, in, you've been in the house since March, like, Time just flies all of a sudden. Like you're just like, oh. And I, if if I can jump in, I'd like to add too that I think, um, you know, one of the things that I think physicians and practices could do better is cancer affects the whole family. Absolutely. And you know, there's a lot of focus in um, the healing process or getting people through the process with the patient, which it has to be. Uh, and, you know, most um, oncologists now, you know, they have a therapist and different people, social workers to help you navigate, you know, all of the things that you need and the emotional state. But I think um, if we're really going to, if we really want to heal people and get rid of cancer and sort of help with the fear, I think we have to approach it in a holistic uh, perspective. I mean, uh, it, it was important for me to make sure that I, you know, protected my children and at the same time kept them abreast. But, you know, I think, you know, as I'm listening to Kirsten talk about the fears that go along with this, I think it is a lifelong fear. Uh, it's a, it becomes a lifelong fear, you know, for recurrence and different things. I mean, I had to have a complete revision uh, last year. And, uh, you know, that was, as, it felt like I was transplanted back to the initial experience. So I think there is a lot to this. And I think we just, you know, this is where the community of women, we just have to empower one another, you know, um, and we specifically need to push and probe physicians to get the best care. I mean, it's really important to be an advocate and to have inquiry around um, your own health. Don't be afraid to, to, to get the answers because, uh, you know, yeah, 
you can beat it. I, I have a cousin who died at 25 from breast cancer. She was young. She had two children. I'm sorry. She had two children and her daughter was recently diagnosed. She's a, a nurse at MD Anderson. And, you know, I mean, she wasn't diagnosed until she was 40. And she was tested for the gene and she has the BRCA1 and BRCA2 gene. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then, you know, there's, there are other genes that are prevalent as well that women should be tested for. And there's a lot of controversy around testing because of pre-existing condition and all of these factors. But I would say that uh, what we cannot do is get immobilized by the fear of it mm-hmm. and not <laughs> get the treatment. Right. And I think um, one thing I think is important, um, Robin, as, as you were talking, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there looking at you and listening and, and saying, hey, I'm talking to an actual survivor. And so one of the things I wanted to kind of actually bring up is what is it um, that you did specifically um, in addition to being proactive about your health? What are some of the things that you would recommend to other people in terms of of, of a textbook in terms of how you beat breast cancer? So, well, thank you for that question. I think that I don't think of myself as special. Um, I think a lot of women in this fight, you know, they have to armor up and uh, positive the power of positive thinking. Um, I think you have to envision yourself well. You have to embrace the fact I did not cut my hair uh, thinking that as a black woman, I wasn't, I, I bought into some fable that I wouldn't lose my hair. Mm-hmm. And consequently it was insanely painful to lose it. So I recommend that you shave your head if you're going to take a drug or now they have this new ice therapy that can preserve your hair. So I recommend that you really investigate your options But mostly, I think it's important to know your diagnosis, understand it, understand, are you estrogen receptor positive or negative, progesterone receptor positive or negative, know your HER2 status, are you HER2 new positive or negative, know the, the, are you fast, slow, medium, or fast growing uh, cancer, make your decisions based on evidence. Do not just allow, you know, because they give you a lot of information. Don't just take the information and assume that that is what is going to work for you. I really think it's when you want to activate community and, you know, speak to other people about their experiences and be willing to investigate and fight the insurance company and healthcare companies have all kinds of ways that you can qualify for medications Um, I think you should look at drug trials if you are at a certain stage and it potentially could save your life. It's important to, to really be that advocate. And I think it's equally important to take that self-care, you know, um, what about, you know, people's families? I mean, there's a lot of focus obviously taken off the family and onto the individual who might be dealing with a disease, a cancer or, or something else um, at, at the time. And how, how, what would you say 
to the family members in terms of helping them to know what to do, what to say, how yeah. to relate. Yeah, to the yeah I, think, I think with family members, I mean, I think you have to inform them to, you know, I, I think you have to encourage them. You need to be as independent as you are capable of being independent and then inform them what you need from them. If you need to take a nap, you know, you're just going to need to take a nap. If you can't do those dishes, you just can't do them. I mean, I think it, dep- it that is a very personally dependent uh, on the dynamic of you and your family, I think. But I think, again, that goes into self-care and being able to express to those Um, what kind of support do you need? You know, for many, uh, you need a prayer chain, you know, you need uh, people praying for you, you need well wishes. Um, I think it is really important. You you do go through a lot of physical changes. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's important to feel, I think, attractive. And um, I think it's important for people to support you and reminding you that you're still valuable to them and um, important. I also think it's really important, you know, women have uh, to go through breast cancer. You have to really deal with your diagnosis and really come to terms with a positive perspective that you can suffer a little bit to get to a positive outcome. Mm -hmm. Because it, 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 you know, depending on the treatments and, you know, I have to say candidly, the treatments are a lot better today than they, they were. And, um, you know, I think it's a, it can be a rough road and you have to really dig deep and rely on the medical community, your family community and your friend community, uh, to, um, to get you through and, and church community if, um, you know, if that's in your life. Right. So and the survivor rates are, are, you know, getting better um, with, with some of the treatments. I know, I think we had an earlier conversation where you were telling me uh, how it was when you were first diagnosed versus right. what goes on now. Tell, tell right. us a little bit about that, like how yeah. it's differing from then to now. So one, they have more testing. So they have different testing modalities that they do much earlier. Um, and then two, now there's a little bit of a thought process of treating with chemotherapy or treating with drugs prior to surgery so that you are, you know, shrinking the mass or you're, you're attacking it uh, uh, systemically and then you're doing the surgery and it's, you know, the thinking is, which makes sense to me, right? You, you get rid of it systemically then you remove it and you're done. So, um, you know, there, there's a lot of different, um, they have different therapies. They have targeted therapies. They've got targeted radiation where they put like seeds or something inside the mass and you go just for treatment. And you may or may not have to have anything removed. Um, nipple sparing. I did not have the luxury of nipple sparing. Um, and not every woman can have that luxury because like myself, I had cancer in the duck, in the uh, nipple. So, um, but if you can, that that's a, my cousin who had the BRCA1, BRCA2 gene, she was able to have nipple sparing surgery. So that, I mean, 
that's pretty awesome because you, it feels more like a, a breast augmentation in that respect. They just remove the breast tissue and um, leave the skin and leave the nipple. And, you know, they've got a lot of newer procedures, uh, aesthetically um, reconstruction options. It, it they have made a ton of progress over the 12 years since I've been diagnosed. So, yeah, you were talking about um, also earlier and I didn't get to ask this other question, you know, with the self exams and stuff like that, do you know how often, I mean, or, or just could you give us some advice on how often um, women in general should be doing that? Because I don't, I'm going to be honest. I just <laughs> to go to the doctor. Yes. No, I should. <laughs> yes. You need to do it monthly. Mm-hmm. You, you need to do it around the same time each month. You should every month. Yep. Same time, not close to your cycle. Yeah. At this age, it's I really have so important. much to worry about, you know, it's not, <laughs> It's not just that. It's, mm-hmm. it's everything. What's what's that? You should do it standing up and laying down. Okay, very good. And um, so yeah, also, I'm going to sign off, everyone. Thank you okay. so much, Celeste. <laughs> I hope that I provided some information. And thanks so much. This has been awesome. Thank you for joining us. And Kirsten's going to stay on these last couple of minutes, I guess. Mm-hmm. We're, we're almost um, out of time anyway, but I wanted to uh, talk to you a little bit about um, kind of some of the things you have coming down the pike within the organization that you mentioned mm-hmm. also, Breasties. Um, are you doing anything coming up um, that's uh, uh, yeah. special? Yeah. So they're doing, um, well, for October and then extending into November, we've had a speaker series. Mm-hmm. Basically, that's just um, on social media that has allowed for um, important conversations and talking points that either relate to um, early detection or um, diagnosis and uh, preventative steps. So I know like I'm doing a conversation um, in early November about surgeries and preventative surgeries and or preventative or reactionary. So, um, for example, like my lumpectomy was reaction to finding a mass. Um, the woman who I'll be was speaking with, she did a double mastectomy as a preventative measure. Um, so, so yeah, so no, it's definitely conver- a lot of conversations, um, pushing the conversation, as we talked about earlier, of making sure to get examined and good to have a examination while in this pandemic. Um, That's something that truly um, is being pushed back. I mean, it's for multiple reasons. Some people don't think the doctors are open or. um, Yeah, I have been to uh, my regular physical uh, recently. And, you know, the thing is people just need to remember to wear their masks, to social Mm -hmm. distance. You know, when you get on the elevator, if there are more than four people on there, step out or wait for the next one. You know, some people are just, you know, Mm -hmm. trying to get in, you know, and I'll just wait, you know, I might be a minute late, but. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. It is very important to continue um, taking those steps. And honestly, like we said, like self-examination is more crucial than ever before. And um, 
And just not, I, I think another part is just having conversation. I think oftentimes when, um, I think around October, there's a lot of conversation, but um, continuing and making sure that like, this is something that I don't get to just think about in October. This is something I have to think about every single month. And um, yeah, it's so important. I know um, a few years ago, I was teaching a health communications class and I spent a whole um, module on uh, breast cancer and learned so much that I really, I have to admit, did not know in terms mm-hmm. of the support, the support groups and the, the types of things that uh, women and men who are diagnosed with either uh, breast cancer or male chest cancer mm-hmm. um, have to deal with. And when, I mean, there, there are things about the body that change, you know, mm-hmm. that maybe your spouse or uh, boyfriend mm-hmm. or what have you might not be aware of, like you mentioned, you know, just hugging people, you know, you're a little bit. Um, yeah, no, intimacy is a, is a major, um, I, I think that's one, understanding your new body, I think is huge. Um, mm-hmm. I think my mom experienced this very much. Um, my, having a lumpectomy like my I'll be honest my my chest looks the same um I do have like nerve like not damage but like nerve sensations that I do feel um and I actually what was interesting is I'm on the symptom of having very itchy nipples like that's something that I had and honestly I think still do like um but Understanding your body, I think after you have a major surgery like that is very challenging. Um, Feeling sexy, feeling connected with your body. It's kind of like you have, from what I've been told from my friends who have had double mastectomies, it's just like something that you don't necessarily realize is so valuable to the women's body is taken away. And then you're kind of put on something with like, your sensations are different, your feelings are different you feel like they look different do they look natural do they so just feel like there's this very high brick on top of me you know and of course when you have when your chest is not your natural body if you gain weight if you are smaller like your chest no longer changes usually as with a natural body it will adjust how your body's adjusting um and I think those are things that are very um very challenging bras are you don't have now you don't you wear normal bras and um like my mom had to find like specific bras for women who have double mastectomies and now I will say brands have kind of taken that on and found ways to create more sexy or more you know um not just like kind of training style bras um mm-hmm. but yeah so no it, it's definitely things, uh Kirsten are so important um just mm-hmm kind of taking all that into consideration. And I can't tell you how much I am grateful for the fact that you and your mom took time today to share a little bit more about your own personal story and to let others know what they need to be thinking about in terms of their relationship with Mm -hmm. women who might be dealing with this, as well as uh, just knowing how to care for ourselves. Absolutely. Great experience. Um, unfortunately, we are out of time at this point, but uh, thank you so much and uh, good luck in all of your future endeavors. Uh, hope to see you soon. And, yes, uh, I hope so too. I have to come to Nashville. <laughs> yeah.
Thank you so much. Uh, that's all the time we have for now for the Celestine Show. Thanks for joining us.